Oh, I better make it a double jack. <laughs> I lost my hand and it turns out I'm an android, you know. Welcome to Book Show, a show about books. With Jacob, John, and Kevin. We're starting with a deep dive into Philip K. Dick. This week, a short story. The Electric Ant. It's Italy's finest carbonated water. You can buy an 18-pack at Costco. <laughs> you are dressed like a guy who drinks Italian spring water. <laughs> I'm in my work clothes. <laughs> that's your work that's is that how you go to meetings with like a with, with an undershirt on no i i keep i usually keep a t-shirt like right around here and that's like my meeting t-shirt <laughs> you are dressed like someone who's washing the rocks italian style <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm dressed like i'm perpetually watering my lawn <laughs> you know i'm just gonna pull up the story before we start this thing story all eight pages of it or whatever <laughs> 21 so good. pages all right so today it's it's the Electric Ant, which is like a twenty-ish page short story, published in nineteen sixty-nine in Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine, which is seven years after Man, Man in the High Castle, um, shortly after the Summer of Love. So it's, I think hence all of the drug, you know, the, the stuff about the state of consciousness and all that, kind of makes sense. Um, John, I, I really just picked this because I didn't know what to pick, and you're like, I think I remember liking that one. I don't think I remember liking it. I really, li- I really like this story. Yeah, and he hasn't shut I, up about how great it is. I actually, um, I actually, I cited this story when I applied to grad school. <laughs> what did you write about I, it? I, um, I wrote about it, and Martin Heidegger and a bunch of um, postmodern uh, theorists. Um, it was, uh, I was really into like Frankenstein and androids and stuff like that. What I really loved about this is like when he, when pool discovers, that... wait, 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 let's get to the premise. Let's get to the premise. Well, okay. But I, I won't, I won't, I won't spoil. I will spoil a little bit. What I love is, so it's kind of like a, it is a trope in a lot of, um, science fiction and literature that when someone discovers that they're not human, they're like an android or some sort of artificial human or a construct of some kind, you know? That they, they they have this 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 moment this like crushing moment of realization, you know, and they usually get really upset about it, and they have to grapple with like the nature of their existence, of this this newfound nature of their existence, and like what it might mean for them. They have some like existential crisis. And what I love about this book is the existential crisis part really only lasts for a few paragraphs before he's like, "Well, let's see what I can do with this." <laughs> it's like such a weird response. Um, uh, especially compared to something like uh, Blade Runner or Android's Dream, like Cheap, or like Deckard, sort of, sort of touching on the fact that he might be like a replicant. It's like it's kind of horrifying in a way, and it kind of makes you question the nature of reality in a different way. Whereas this this story kind of goes a different way. Um, and then I think, and this is like, you know, I'm a very like I'm a very cornball person, but I love. I just love the punch tape, man. I just love the punch tape. That's what that's what really, really does it for me in this, uh, in this, in this story. Like, I love the central technology. I mean, we'll talk about it, but it's really, really the punch tape is the thing that I love the most. <laughs> Jacob, do you want to give us the rundown here, the premise? Uh, yeah. So the premise is you have a guy uh, by the name of uh, Garson Poole. It seems like he is uh, injured. 
in some kind of rocket ship accident. He's a uh, high up person at Triplan. And he wakes up in the hospital and he's missing a hand. And he discovers that uh, despite believing he had been human before the accident, uh, he is in fact a robot called an electric ant. And once he discovers that he's a robot, he starts uh, asking some questions and starting to fiddle with his machinery. Uh, when he discovers he has this kind of punch tape, as John referred to, which is creating the reality that he perceives. So I, I would say that's the premise of this story. He's an organic robot. Part uh, I- <laughs> and, and can we and can we so can we talk about the scene? I love the opening of this where he's like in the hospital. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, why, why aren't there people around here? I'm missing my hand. What's going on? And he like makes a phone call, and like before he sees everyone, and he's just like, I love, I love how like, I love how nonchalant he is, and everyone is to all these things happening. And he like yeah. calls his like work associate, and he's like, I don't have a hand. Like, could you? Could you I've been in the hospital several times. I would never call someone like that nonchalantly <laughs> if you like this. But I also I love I love how. Um, He's like, where, where are the hospital workers? Like, why aren't they here with me? And then they come in and they're like, oh, we, we, we found out that you're a robot. And like, that's not our job to take care of you. And he's like, I'm a robot. Yeah. But <laughs> like, yeah I, I just love how, I just like, how like, heartless they, they are. Yeah, it's, it's funny because um, having read Man in the High Castle, I was like, oh, this is so much more complex. And like, there's all these like characters with complex psychology. This was not the dick I was expecting. Like, this story is the dick I was expecting. Yeah, yeah where it's just yeah. like it's just like very clunky and like a lot of the characters don't really have don't really make any sense like there's there's like no psychological complexity to them they're just like vessels for words and then they move on to the next part like the i don't know that's one that maybe maybe there's more to it than i'm missing i, I, but. I thought that was I, well you found the hospital workers for clunky i thought it was like intentional i was supposed to be like institutional apathy towards like him because he was like less than human and maybe. then, uh, like, but they, but the fact that he still is caught, like, we know he has consciousness because, like, we see the story from his perspective. But, like, they're just, like, this institutional apathy towards him. Like, this kind of, like, oh, that's not our job. Like, this is not coded as our job. We don't care about you anymore. Even though, like, he clearly has feelings, you know? I like, just love that. They... I didn't think it was clunky at all. I thought it was, like, I thought it was great. Like, I, I really, I, I really related. Like, I've been in those situations. I just, I really love, it's true. But I do like this, the moment when they reveal it. The doctor's like, you're a successful man, Mr. Poole. But Mr. Poole, <laughs> you're not a man. You're an electric ant. Christ, Poole said stunned. <laughs> So we can't really treat you here now that we found out. We knew, of course, as soon as we examined your injured right hand, we saw the electronic components, and then we made torso x-rays, and of course, they bore out our hypothesis. What, Poole said, is an electric ant. But he knew he could decipher the term. And then it's just like, that's it. And then it's just like, then they just move on. <laughs> I, lo- I, love, yeah. I love how that's, that's they say he could decipher the term, but they don't decipher the term for us. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I can put it together, but it is like, it's weird. Like, it's a weird it's a weird term like, i read somewhere like, online it's like it's like electricant which has been supported separated into electric ant i don't know if that helps i i i must i'm well i did not i did not realize that but doesn't it doesn't really like it's not like electricant does it really? yeah i don't think that really moves us closer to yeah. but it's <laughs> funny you know, what i found interesting it's it's kind of like it's more of a thought experiment, you know, it's less of like, he seems less interested in like, in like uh, kind of the mechanics of it and more interested in just like playing with this, this idea and like around cool. the nature of reality or, and consciousness. Or Dick. Dick. Uh, both of them, I guess. Uh, yeah. 
What, sorry, can you repeat that? You think it's more of a thought experiment than like a story? Yeah. I would agree with that, yeah. Because there's not like a lot of plot really. Like there's sort of, there's some complexity to a couple of the characters, but really it's just like, uh, it's like very quickly just like, you're not human. And then he's like, let's see where I can go with this. <laughs> it's just like him messing with his consciousness. I think that is the plot though. I, I, I uh, what would you, sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but what do you define a thought? Like what's a thought experiment to you? Like what does that mean? It's just trying to work out the, or sorry, if I can jump in an answer for Kevin. Uh, I guess I would just, I, I guess why I agree with Kevin is I feel like it's really just, you know, Dick trying to work out, you know, the sort of like, well, what if I were a robot and what if my reality were entirely created by this kind of like punch card or some sort of internal thing? And what if that went away? Would like reality disappear? Would I disappear? Would everyone disappear? Is yeah. there even reality? Yeah, I mean, and I, I think mean, it's really it's, just him working it out. It's not really like a story. Like there's not a lot of like, dramatic tension really i mean i guess like near the end I, of it where it's like everything might disappear but like i don't know i i, I agree that it's kind of a thought experiment um, so I, I i i guess i agree by that definition of thought experiment in a way but i don't think that means this doesn't have a plot like i do think the plot of him like getting like increasingly unhinged and experimental with this uh ticker tape is like really interesting and i i do i do i will concede that like this idea of like the sub- subjective nature of reality is like very uh, cliche. Like it's kind of it's a cliche. You know what I mean? It's it's a tired trope, right? Um, and it's kind of infantile in a lot of ways, right? But 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 I think I think Garson Pool is infantile. But then I think the ending, and what I noticed on this reading was something else that was interesting to me. Um, I mean, the ending is kind of the nature of reality kind of thing is actually in way, interesting, but, though. Like this is, but kind I do, but I, do, I I actually think this is like sorry, sorry, Kevin. I I actually I do think this is like. I do. I do think it's like a good story. Like I really like it. And I do think it has a plot. I'm like, I'm a big defender of it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's really good. Minimal plot, I'll say. I'll, I'll, yeah. Sure, I, but, I, I agree with that. But I, I don't. I don't think it's like a weakness. I think it's like a strong story. But anyways, sure. continue. Sorry. Go on. Oh, I, I, it's kind of. <laughs> but it's interesting. The premise of this is kind of similar to a lot of Black Mirror episodes, where it's kind of like, at what point does AI cease to be AI and start to have its and start to actually kind of have its own existence and feelings and. And like, there's like story after story about that Black Mirror, right? Of the like, you know, cookies and stuff, like who are becoming so advanced that like they feel like they're real. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, so Jacob, you haven't. What, what did you think of this thing? Um, I had very mixed feelings about it. Should we like, run through the the plot first, or do you want to keep going? I think oh, Jacob I mean, summarized it well enough. Well, no, I don't think so. I think we just we just started the premise. He just found out he's a robot, and then he finds out that the ticker tape controls his reality. But also, what's interesting is when he's leading up to, before he takes himself apart, everyone's telling him, oh, you're programmed to do this, you're programmed to do that. And even he thinks, uh, when he first, I think when he first thinks of suicide, he's like, oh, I probably can't kill myself. I'm probably programmed against it. But then he uses like this uh, version of Google, like in like. Yeah, yeah he calls <laughs> the uh, interface, whatever. Yeah, which he gets like, I love the scene where he gets charged, uh, which is very similar to a lot of scenes in like Ubik and do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, and he takes himself apart and he finds out that he has no programming matrix. There's, there is not, there is no programming controlling his behavior. He is like a free person. Um, but what he does have is this reality tape that controls yeah. how he control, understands reality. And what I didn't realize on the last, my, my previous readings like over a decade ago, was that in the tape with all the um, bumps on it, everything is already set. It doesn't take any input. The tape is itself is the input. Yeah. His reality is already set. So when he's like, 
talking about his subjective reality. And he's for, for one point he does wonder, he's like, oh, it's just disappeared for me. It doesn't really matter. But then he's like, but my reality is the only rea- reality that matters. But the other thing is the tape is already set. There is no input. So his reality is already written. So his reality is the only reality that matters. Like it's not external stimuli that affect the tape. The tape is done. Well, that's what's interesting. So the part when he starts messing with the tape and he starts like poking new holes in it and like things start appearing. It's like, so those things actually do exist and he's just not perceiving no. them. No, <laughs> no, but the thing is they don't know. They, see, he, he mentions well, they, that. Exactly. But, they, but if you understand yeah. how the tape works, there, like if you like a ticker tape, like there's no, it's not like he looks at something with his eyes and then the tape register like punches the, like, like registers like a car and then punches a hole in the tape. The tape is already set. The school yeah. of it's tape like a is player piano. Set. Yeah. Yes, it's like a player piano. But what that means is he's like a he isn't a programming, but like his fate is set. Like it's true. Reality, his real, all of reality is based in that tape. Like that tape is writing reality, and that's why the the story ends. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. It's like at first you're like, oh, it's only him, and it's limiting what he can see, and then you could. I think you come to see like, oh no, actually this is reality. But that's how I interpreted the book for a long time. It's just like yeah. he's just losing his mind, right? Basically, he just can't handle it. And he's just like blocking things off. And it's like this like ultimate moment of like self-centered narcissism. Like my reality is the only reality that matters. But the reality is that like the way the tape works is he's right. Like, but actually it's not quite right. But Well, but no, it, I mean, I think it's unresolvable. I mean, I think like the ending kind of screws up the this, this is what I don't like about these sort of like Cartesian dualist kind of like ah there's a mind body split and he's like a head in a jar and like you know and and so hey, it just says like briefly some of the plot here he basically monkeys with this tape a bunch does various experiments to it to see like what changes about reality and then finally decides he wants to cut off the tape so that the thing that is projecting reality won't have anything to read to find out what happens um, and then the story ends with his girlfriend disappearing as well and so there's this kind of uh not just over the whole world let's well, yeah, talk let's talk, let's talk yeah. about why he wants to mess with his tape because well, i don't think the whole stages. world disappears i think that's that's impossible there's but, a few anyway. stages of him messing around with the tape that's the plot it's like him like getting more bold yeah but he has like different reasoning at first i don't remember what his first reasoning was the first one is he he takes himself apart and he wants to find out his programming. He wants to understand what his programming is because he yeah. thinks he's being like controlled, right? And he finds it isn't a programming, but he finds a reality tape. So he starts messing around with some of the holes to see what'll happen. And he goes out to a bar called Crackers, which he says is a very superb Manhattan bar, which I really I, just, I love I love those little flavor moments. It's just really <laughs> funny. And and then and then and then he 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 erases the city of New York. Yeah, he like and plugs then, the holes basically, right? Or like covers up yeah, the bumps. Yeah, he like paints yeah. them over like with the, the tools. Like like the, I th- I feel like the tools and the, the tape mechanics are gone into like great detail, which like I have never worked with something like that, so I really don't understand how it works. Um, um but I also I uh, uh, sidebar, I really love like the micro tools and stuff and like the enlarging glass. Like I don't know. You can see why Hollywood sort of picked this guy's work up. It's like very visual, I think. It's very cool. Yeah. Um and then, and then the, the blocks out New York, and he's getting to drinks with his friend. And then, because he blocks out New York, uh, not his friends, or his coworker, uh, dance his boss, uh, Danceman. Well, it's, not, it's, it's I mean, it's not his boss; it's his his employee, but technically his boss, I guess, in reality, since he's an electric hand, right? Yeah. Um, anyways, but he steals dance like Danceman's car, which is like a company car, so he has the keys, anyways. And then he's flying around, and he's like, he can't see the city, so he just flies around for fifteen minutes, and he's like. And he's like, I guess the implication is like, well, he's like, I can't run into anything. It doesn't exist anymore anyways. Right? Which like, So that's interesting. Funny. That's that's the first moment where it suggests like, oh, no, it's not just that he can't see or perceive these things. These things actually aren't here. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. So he kind of figures that out. Yeah. And then um, at one point, he, uh, he, I think he messes around again. Well, he starts poking things into it and creating new, like, new, and he basically yes, creates yes, new stimuli. Yes. Yeah, you're right. But what I love is when then he's like, well, I want to cut the tape so I can experience all of reality all at once. Everything. Yeah, because it's basically going to be like like a blinding flat. It, it'd be like photocopying with no paper, right? It would just be like every, like a blinding flash. Everyone yeah. like, re-experiences yeah. everything in the world at once. And he's like, after that moment, it's okay if I don't exist anymore. He wants to experience everything simultaneously yeah. to know the universe and its entirety, which like is like a really insane assumption to make based on having like nothing feeding his tape like it's like it's like why does he assume that will work you know <laughs> yeah and then and then we get to the end where he does that and then he dies and then everyone else and then his girlfriend starts disappearing that part is one of the most interesting parts to me the relationship of the other characters to him like danceman and the girlfriend where the whole time they're sarah. like yeah, so, yeah sarah, sarah danceman She's like a secretary, right? I think they say there's a secretary and then it kind of reveals them later they're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're romantically involved. So the whole time they're kind of being extra sympathetic to him and, and, and you get the feeling like, oh, like even though he's this 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 uh, organic robot, electric ant thing, they know him and they accept him as a being, as like kind of their equal. And then after he dies, Danceman's like, oh good, like a thank God he's gone. <laughs> yeah, Sarah literally says like something like, Oh, she says, we're finally free of it. Yes, yeah. won't it be nice? It's weird that they reacted like that because they were, like, he was quite cold to them. And when you're reading it, you're like, this guy's a jerk. But in the end, it's kind of like, yes, he was right to be mean to them. <laughs> like, they're, well, like, but nobody... it was also like, I, I don't I didn't, I didn't read it as him being mean to them. Like, he, he had just gone through a pretty traumatic, life-altering uh, experience of understanding that he's not a human being. But yeah, I I don't know. Does that really make sense though? Even like, why why were they being nice to him the whole time? And then he dies, and they're like, "Oh, good, it's gone." You want my you want my understanding of this? This is yes. a very good short story about work culture, because <laughs> these people are his his coworkers and his employees. He's the boss, and then he finds out that he's not really the boss. He's like a kind of a puppet boss, but he's still the boss. Like a lot of it is him charging things to the company. Um, at one point, he steals Danceman's car. He's sleeping with his secretary. Like this is like this is like sixties madman style boss. These are coworkers. That's the coworkers amazing. hate each other. I love that. Like, but they're, they're all being nice to him. Uh, yeah, you have to be you have to be professional. Like yeah. <laughs> you don't want you don't want HR getting called in, right? Um so you gotta be professional, but really ultimately everyone doesn't care about each other and it's just about one upping like you know, the people above you or around you. So like they are subservient to him in a way, and I feel like he's annoyed by their uh, sympathy for him because he's used to being their superior, right? That's that's how I read it. I really read it like that. <laughs> Jacob, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, maybe. I mean, the way that I kind of read it was like, and this gets into the whole like relativistic part of the, or I'm not sure what to call it exactly. Part of like, is this reality or not? Is when she calls Dancevin, she doesn't say that he cut off the tape or anything. She just says that he died, and then he goes, "Oh, so we're finally free of it." And she's like, "Yes, won't it be nice?" And so the way that I read it is that they were being controlled by him somehow, and then him dying means they can do whatever they want. But then she starts disappearing later because he actually severed the sort of reality making part of his machinery 
and that him dying actually eliminates like the rest of whatever that fictional reality was and you know they didn't actually exist but there's yeah. this sort of misconception that they have because they're not sure whether they're you know like they seem to believe that they're outside of the program but it turns out that they're inside of the program and so they disappear too so he is this electric ant is actually more real than them who are actually just like projections of this electric ant yeah every, where is reality is, in this is, in this equation it's just everything is just on that tape that's what but where is. is reality in this equation who made this electric ant well, the, I, 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 no, I don't, think, I don't think all of reality is in the tape. I don't think that's how that. I don't think that's how this works. I think what it is is it's more of like a like a the Matrix kind of situation where like somewhere you know, uh, Pool was like plugged into something, and he had some sort of task. Um, and to keep him you know busy, he has this like image track that makes it seem like he has a purpose and a job and all this stuff. Um, but everything within his reality is this kind of projection. Uh, and there is some other reality somewhere else, but he can't access it, and neither can any of the other characters. Yeah, that's the tape. Whoever, whatever, whatever or whoever created the tape created that reality. That's, that's, that's what I mean by that. Right, right. So there is a reality outside of this. It's just not one that they can access. Yeah, exactly. They're, all their reality is contained with that tape and that reader. And once that's eliminated, once Pool is gone, then there is there's nothing uh, sustaining this reality. So Pool is yeah. correct that it is ultimately subjective to him. So his like like narcissistic like conclusion to like him being a robot and like everything is around him is like actually correct. But when you're reading the story, you're like, oh, this guy's imploding. Like he's going crazy. And then he's just like experimenting reality. And it is like, it is a drug allegory. Like it's clearly a drug allegory, but then he ends up being correct. (laughs) So it's like, it's kind of like, but he like self-destructs. It's like really it's destructive. Like it's horrible what happens to him when he goes through, I mean, he kills himself. Right. But, but he ends up being like, right. Like his assumption, which is like what I think is like really funny about this story and like how it ends and uh, whatever message there might be. I'm doing air quotations. <laughs> I see him, but, our, but our listeners cannot see them. <laughs> I think where I just, I, I like the work allegory thing that you brought up, John. I think Jacob, I disagree with this, this, this premise of, Oh, this they're doing this, to keep him busy because he's not real. Like he's not, this is, this is a piece of tape. No, but there is some sort of physical reality there, right? Cause he can manipulate, he can't, he can manipulate that tape. But he grows a company that only exists in this fake reality that only exists on this tape. Like why would anyone make this tape? So there's something that he's messing with there that does seem to bring everything crashing down. So I think there's a physical component, which is, is like whatever he seems to perceive, all of that is mediated by the tape. So it might be something else than the way it's presented in the story, but there is something actually there that is his physical body and his machinery and all that stuff. Um, and I think what happens is that as he messes with that, then it changes all of his perceptions and he disappears. And so does everyone else in that kind of thing. Yeah, I, li- I like what you said. There is a physical component, but we should apply too much rationality to this. It's almost irrelevant who created the electric ant here. Like we, we can only go on what's in the story, but. Well, it almost gets like religious, right? Like there's a kind of God outside of the story that <laughs> created this ant for some sort of purpose, but you can't access it. You can't know anything about it. And it, uh, you know, it's almost like an allegory for the afterlife and death is kind of like what I was thinking here. What's an allegory for the afterlife? Well, it's just this whole thing, right? Where he's like, oh, like I want to see what's beyond the world that I can perceive. He almost wants to see like what comes after, what comes next if I get rid of the tape. Um, and it, it, it turns out to be nothingness, at least the way that I read this, right? So it's like- Well, actually it's interesting because it, first he wants, to, he wants to control his reality. Then he yeah. wants to experience the entirety of it all at once. And then he wants to like- break free of it well those two are the same thing right because he's like oh once i experience everything all at once it'll burn me out and i'll die i don't think he thinks he'll die does he 
I think he does, or he's not sure. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely not sure. Okay, so I get the sense that John liked this story more than Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, you didn't like the story. It was good. There's parts of it I really, really like, but the central kind of like what is reality thing is not. And again, this isn't like particular to Dick, but it's not a kind of question that I find super interesting. Um, and the ending of this story was kind of similar to why I started yelling at the screen angrily at the end of Inception. Uh, because it's like this similar kind of gimmick where it's like we've been showing you like some version of reality and then we're going to end on this like ambiguous cliffhanger that kind of fucks up the rest of the story and why you're watching this at all in the first place but I will say the things that I do like about this though and and this this is like classic sort of dick stuff just like the fact that it it takes place in this like hyper capitalist world yes where like he has like these like you know they're like oh well you're a robot so like we can't treat you at this hospital but that'll be like five frogs and then they like take him home and then because he's a robot they're not sending a doctor they're sending like mechanics yeah. and they're like oh you really fucked yourself up that'll be 95 frogs and like it's just like this kind of like really chintzy kind of like everything is mediated by like payment and the sort of purpose and productivity of the characters like i, I don't know i, I love yes. that kind of like way that dick yes. approaches these kinds of things and i think that makes it like really funny so i really like that i like the aesthetic of the story i like that kind of like future that dick creates for this kind of question um but it's just like to me the sort of like you know oh am i really real are you real none of us are real is like just like i don't know like most of the time when it comes up i get like a little annoyed unless there's like you know something i don't know i don't know it's not that the story is bad it's that i'm boring i i I, okay first of all i don't think you're boring i think you're (laughs) a really wonderful uh you know thoughtful person whose friendship i really enjoy and i I think that's a totally fine take and uh i agree with a lot of it i do think the ending is kind of weak and kind of hand wavy it's kind of like a really lame easy sort of twist ending right yeah um uh and i i do i do agree that i love the flavor bits and the world building like the little bits of uh like the horrible capitalist world that they live in the future <laughs> i love that the the flying um like like cars are like into ships and called squibs um yeah. and like there's a lot of this, like weird nautical like uh terminology to talk about the flying cars like i think that it's like just a like, little great like i love i love dick stuff for little moments like that um i love the relationship with his co-workers um but i i also i do i do love the progression of like when he finds out that he's an android and then he starts to mess with his own reality thing like i love that response to like what he is and i also i also really love the central imagery of the ticker tape like i just love that because like i don't like I obviously I did not grow up in the '60s. Like you know, I'm a millennial. I did not have a lot of experience <laughs> with uh, punch cards and ticker tape and stuff like that. But I've always found it really fascinating. It's like the, the sort of like um, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like analog binary stuff, like programming. It's almost like steampunk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of it's very steampunky, but like kind of uh, cooler to me in a way because it's not yeah. quite steampunky. It's like 1950s, 1960s computer punk, which is like weird. Um, there's another story called The New Eve by uh, Villiers de l'Adam, excuse my French pronunciation, um, and it was written like in the turn of the century and, uh, well, sorry, the end of, I think the end of the 20th century, but in it, there's, it's like a classic sci-fi, it's actually the first uh, recorded use of the word android, and in it, in this book, uh, Edison is a character, like Thomas Edison, and he creates an android woman, and she's like powered by phonographs. 
it's kind of like a similar thing. It's like taking the technology of the day of like using its power of Android. And again, it's also like something that's like pre-recorded, right? Which is not how we think of like artificial intelligence now. Like artificial intelligence has to be an algorithm, like a set of responses to uh, other stimulus, right? And uh, yeah, I just love that central imagery. I think it's really cool. It's really of its time. Um, and uh, yeah, it just really, it just really gets me going. Like I just, it's just really exciting to me. Anyways, Kevin, go ahead. I've, I've blabbered on long enough. No, I think I, it's interesting to me that same thing that you're saying about this like old analog technology being projected into the future and like trying to sort out this idea of the future based on, you know, which is like funny to us now, the, the juxtaposition. But uh, despite that, it's like, as I was saying earlier, like he is working through this idea that is like continues to fascinate people and people are continuing to, to, to explore, like I was saying with Black Mirror and like, what does it mean to be like a cookie of a person or whatever? He's having fun. I like that he's having fun. I like that the money's called frogs or he's talking about like Jack Daniel's purple label, which is like the extra one. <laughs> yeah, it was purple, Johnny, label, yeah. purple yeah. label. Or Johnny Walker. I, I will say the cool thing about this story for this kind of like premise, which I appreciate about it, even though I'm not a big fan of this kind of premise is that instead of like the usual kind of like, Oh no, I found out I'm a machine, but what does that mean about being human? That's what I mentioned it's at the beginning. Totally, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's totally, he's totally like, fuck this. And it just like <laughs> yeah. breezes past that. And it's much more like, he's much more fascinated with the fact that he's a machine, yes. which is like, which just flies in the face of like how, how this almost always goes. Yes, that's, that's, you know, the sort that's of like, what I liked about it. That's the cool part. I was reading <laughs> all this Android stuff, you know, and like um, like artificial humans, like Frankenstein, and like all stuff I love. Like I, I love all that kind of thing, you know? But like, he's not like data. He's not like, oh no. no. Uh, you know, like I want to be human or like he like he doesn't think about it. Like, Captain, what is a joke? What is comedy? Yeah, he doesn't, <laughs> maybe it's a bad analogy because like Data always knows he's Android, but like whatever. But my point is like, he doesn't care that he's not human. Yeah, he's not trying to be human. He has no All sense of mentality. All he cares about is like, do I have, am I programmed to act a certain way? And like, can I control my own reality? <laughs> like he's not like, yeah. oh no, what about like all my experiences? He's like, what are the limits of this machine? He doesn't even, uh, he doesn't I'm, even bemoan his relationships. Even as people are like disrespecting him, like, like oh or should i say yeah. pool instead of mr pool like they remove right. um like his honorific you, you know? don't get a title yeah, yeah. you don't get a title <laughs> you just you just, you just have like a, a name and he doesn't like yeah he doesn't seem to care about that like he just moves on yeah. very quickly to like i'm gonna like control reality and ultimately kill myself yeah like that that to me is like the most interesting yeah. part of the story which is an it's insane like, really response and also also to tie back my work thing it seems like a very 1960s dad thing to do yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm just gonna walk off finding out I'm an android. Like you can Shit. see a character in Mad Men, maybe not Don Draper because he's a little emotional, but you can see them acting like that for sure if they found right, out right, they're right. robots. Like, oh, I better make it a double jack. Yeah, it's such a, <laughs> such a, yeah, it's such a exactly. I lost my hand, and it turns out I'm an android. You know? Oh yeah, it turns out android better go to actors and get a double. Like, I need to go get like a. I'm not even here. I need to go to the. I need to go to the nicest cocktail bar in Manhattan, get like an old fashioned. Yeah. Like, <laughs> After I get this new hand. You know what I'll say? I almost feel silly to like the extent to which I tried to understand the plot and the and the rules and everything when like clearly it's just Philip K. Dick just had this idea of like, what if reality was on a tape and you started messing with it? That's and he just wrote fun- a story around that. And like the rest doesn't really I don't think he really cared about about the rest matching. That's what's fun about Philip K. Dick though. He doesn't write sci-fi where we have to like mess around with the rules. He writes sci-fi where like 
there's flying uh, cars called squibs and like you use your master credit charge plate to call a computer in like Boise, Idaho or, or whatever. And it turns into a giant ear as it listens to your response. You know what I mean? Like you just, there's, there's a lot of flavor and you just go with it. And it's not about being like uh, internally coherent. <laughs> yeah. But I like rules. I like systems. Yeah, me too. I love systems and rules. But, you know, that's why that love is also why it's fun to uh, inhabit a world briefly where they don't matter. And it's lots of cool stuff happening. Just enjoy it. Just go for the ride, man. Just just, just <laughs> let that ticker tape flow in through you and, and just, just go with it. Uh, I think that's a good ending. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I want to experience everything all at once. Um, so you like the story, Kevin? I It was fine. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. This is not a not a story I'm going to die on a hill for, you know, but like I I do I do love it. Like it's very dear to my heart. Uh I've read it a million times and then rereading it for this maybe like 10 years, over 10 years since I read it. Like I I really enjoyed it again. It's really fun. Would you say this is like of a similar nature to a lot of his short stories? No. 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 <laughs> no. No, I haven't read I mean I've I've read a bunch of his short stories, but I haven't I surely surely haven't read all of them. And uh no, a lot of them are really weird, they're really different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but with, with Dick, you know, it's really, the quality varies all over the place. I would say <laughs> if you guys are like annoyed at the plot and characterization in this one, then, um, maybe we should stop. <laughs> 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 I actually like the sort of like slapdash nature. I, I don't think that's, that's not really like my quibble with this one. You know, I think the slapdash nature is like pretty good. You know, I think that's, that's clear that he's like writing on, he's writing on a, a time limit and on a budget. He's like, I got to crank this out. It's a good magazine throw piece. In. Yeah. It's a- yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, like, I can see like reading a magazine and actually liking this. Unlike, you know, sometimes you pick up the New Yorker and they're like new fiction by this like well-established author. And it's like a short story that takes you like 40 tries to read. Uh, if you're it's hard to imagine me, anyone enjoying or- fiction in New Yorker at any time in history. <laughs> you know, just like about a couple sitting alone in their apartment staring at each other. Yeah. Weeping. <laughs> They're not going to crackers. Well, what was your Heidegger thing? I'm curious how you brought Heidegger into this whole story mess. Uh, okay. So Heidegger has this a concept of gestalt or in framing. And the idea, oh, yeah. I've talked to you about this before. Many yeah, times I've, I've read this shit too. Yeah. So the idea is that um, science, which is it's a discourse, like he, like, he doesn't use the word discourse, but other uh, theorists like Leotard and Baudrillard do. It's like a discourse with a set of rules. And part of what Heidegger talks about, sort of the rules of science, what it does is it inframes certain things as something to be used, usually as harnessable energy. So he uses this example. It's kind of a fraught example. It's Heidegger. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but he uses this example with this electric dam. And so um, this electric, once you, so, okay, so a river before the electric dam. Oh yeah, I remember the analogy. Science. Yeah. yeah, it's like a thing of beauty. It's it's kind of a polysemous. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's full of, can have multiple meanings. You know, it can be like a, 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 a god has poetic meaning. It has a meaning of place, like all, the, all these things. But once you have these electric dams, once the sort of science takes over, it inframes the uh, river as energy. And then once it becomes energy, it becomes something like objectifiable and useful in, in for this discourse. It loses its other possible meanings and it only becomes energy. It can't really be anything else at the same time because 
the, the, the science science will supersede other ones because that's kind of the, one of the rules of its discourse. It's like logic of maximum efficiency. And when you have the logic of maximum efficiency, it like necessarily will not make, it won't have room for other meanings or other interpretations. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good description of why we can't solve climate change, right? Because it's, yes, like, exactly. it's like, it's exactly. like, well, you know, like we could like just like leave the mountains not strip mine, but it's like, oh, well, actually that would be like economically yes. efficient. So just like dig, dig away. <laughs> yeah, even a decade ago where I was functionally, uh, I can't use the word anymore and i won't but i was functionally like idiotic you know and i mean i still am idiotic but i'm a little more uh you know wizened by age <laughs> at this point but even then it kind of resonated to me like that as like a fundamental tension like in our society right and um so i think he's like i think he kind of nails something there you know um so but anyway so the so the, the natural extension of this even heidegger touches on this other people do I might be misrepresenting Heidegger here. So if there's anyone actually listening to this, I'm sorry, but fuck you. I don't give a shit anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, but but basically, you extend this to human beings, and eventually human beings will be inframed or objectified as this, like, you know, something to be sort of used or exploited. And then once that happens, then what does it mean for, like, our special status as humans or even how we, like, you know, uh, encounter each other or how we look at the human body and when we start like recreating humans or, or sorry are creating humans or consciousness you know what does that mean for our own consciousness you know it kind of gets stripped of its specialness right so that that's what he's talking about and then the android is like a pretty you know logical extension of that like it's kind of like the end game isn't it like Right, we just become electric ants, where it's like we only have value in terms of uh, our productive capacity, and then you know everything else is just kind of like superfluous and just there to amuse us. Well, what was interesting to me is you know you have these 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 you know you got your Frankenstein's you know where the monster you know he's like what what does this mean for me like what am I like he wants to have this like you know um, extra meaning to being you know human. But, like, he's just a collection of body parts, you know, essentially. And it's just, you know, he's, he's really into the romantics and all that. But then when you get the dick, it's just like, oh, like, it's just like, it's kind of like what the corporate world would do. And, like, yeah. this guy who responds to it, he's kind of like, he's kind of like an MBA major guy. You know what I mean? Like, hyper-rational, just kind of, like, no emotions. Like, he just kind of, like, goes through it. And I'm like, that's kind of, like, actually what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like uh, most MBAs would probably react a little stronger if they found out they were not human. I think there is a type of guy, though. Who's who, just like, I'm a robot. Who would, what? Who, yeah, who, who would be like this. He'd be like, well, fuck everybody else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the sort of like weird, like sort of MBA wellness space. And I think that kind of bears out what you're saying, right? Where it's like, I think, I think you know, like there's a certain amount of like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to... I don't know, like weird, you know, like people with like colloidal silver and stuff and like all kinds of like strange dieting things and like the Peter Thiel, I'm going to live forever kind of stuff. Like I feel like there's a certain amount of like like reducing yourself to like. It's it's exactly like that. Like, like the wellness thing isn't about feeling better. It's about performing better. Right, right. Exactly. Like, and it's about to feel better to perform better because they understand there's a link between like physical health and your ability to continue going on. I think a lot of corporate wellness stuff is about that. It's about keeping people from burning out, not for the betterment of themselves, but so they don't lose the labor, you know? Like, so you're saying, you're saying corporate wellness is like some like HR, like, you know, goon read this story and it was like, wait, this is a really good idea. We need to revolutionize how we deal with our employees. Well, also, you know, a lot of that wellness stuff is about, oh, living in the moment, just, like, experiencing the stuff. Yeah, it's like, but don't think living in the moment sucks. Like, uh, the moment sucks right now. I'm, I'm at work. <laughs> 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 
So uh, that was really fun uh, as well, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about these books with you. Sorry if I talk too much. So next up, we've got... Ubik. Ubik or Ubik? Ubik. Uh, Ubik. That's a very good question. I have no idea. Jacob seems very confident about Ubik. I mean, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> well, see, it's, it's short for ubiquitous, so... Oh. Yeah, let's go with that. If you read the oh. once you read the book, you'll see. Yeah, but only <laughs> like halfway through that makes a lot of sense. Shit's everywhere. That was book show, a show about books, music, and editing by Kevin Sexton. You can find us at Crackers, a superb bar in Manhattan. If you like this show, tell a friend. If you don't like it, try lacquering your reality tape. Tune in next time for a discussion about Ubik. Thank you.